Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Good evening, I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphomet. You are not alone. Broadcasting tonight from my home studio in the hinterlands of the Oregon coast, to our mothership of 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle and worldwide at nightdrift.com. Happy New Year. 2022. It, it, it does feel as if we are in the future now. I suppose the present is the future and the future is the present. Oh man, that just blew my own mind there for a second. Tonight, paranormal investigator Bex Atwood returns for a new report on the land between the lakes and Kentucky. And we now may know the counties here in the United States with the most reported UFO sightings. This is from 24-7 Wall Street. Sightings of unidentified flying objects have increased in recent years, and some parts of the country have proven to be particularly hospitable to strange things in the sky, or at least to those who see them. 24-7 Tempos identified the counties with the most UFO sightings per capita, based on data provided by Cheryl Costa and Linda Miller, authors of UFO Sightings, Desk Reference, United States of America 2001-2020, to which, if you haven't read, you have to check out. This is me. You have to check out. It's got a bright pink cover. It has data uh, from both the National UFO Reporting Center and MUFON. It's a great, great guide. So the data shows the relative likelihood of county residents reporting UFO sightings. Population figures come from the U.S. Census Bureau's American Community Survey. A number of factors influence the number of sightings, including population, geography, climate, and weather. Reporting is facilitated by access to broadband and media reports. may create a feedback loop. High-profile incidents, such as when airline pilots report being buzzed by fast-moving objects, can often are often followed by a rash of sightings. Oh, imagine that. Horry County, South Carolina leads the country in UFO sightings with 254.1 per 1,000 residents. That makes sense as it's home to Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle Beach, the cities with the most per capita sightings. It's so wild. South Carolina. Hmm. The number two and number three spots are claimed by Yavapay and Mojave counties in Arizona. The state has three more counties further down the list, Maricopa, Pima, and Pinal. That may have something to do with the state's clear skies and with the fact that Arizona is a leisure destination. Another factor that drives sightings. That makes sense. You're outside. You're you're looking at the sky. You're you're available. There are also seven counties, each in Florida and Washington. All right, six in Colorado, five in California, and four in Oregon. I mean, of course, the Pacific Northwest ranks so high up in the high strangeness meter and UFO sightings. Of course it does. Also, in terms of people reporting, I mean, National UFO Reporting Center is based right here in Washington State. If there's a surprise inclusion, it's New York County, better known as Manhattan, with 65.3 sightings per 100,000 residents. That makes sense. Right here on Euphemet, we talked to Ryan Sprague, had a tremendous sighting on, you know, while he was on the roof of his apartment building in Queens beautiful neighborhood in Astoria. Really great. Really great food. We'll need to have Cheryl Costa on the prog- on the program soon. Um, 
I mean, a significant amount of insights have been generated by the work here. Things like the most common shape, time of sighting, etc. I'm sorry, but it's all super fascinating. And I think, uh, I think you think so too. But what does it all mean? I think what it means is reports matter. They help us make connections and sense of the high strange. Or maybe we find patterns, times where we are more likely to engage with it all. Much like the data sets accumulated by Costa and Miller, Liminal Earth allows witnesses and experiencers to log their story. And tonight, their very own Bex Atwood is back with us, and I hear she's bringing updates on dogmen and stories from an expedition through the land between the lakes. We'll also be taking your calls tonight, 425-373-5527, or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW on Night Drift. That's right after this. social media at euphomet e-u-p-h-o-m-e-t With Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. A new season of Euphemet begins later this month. New episodes, this time, every week. And next fun Sunday, I'll feature a fun day. Next fun day. <laughs> It'll be a fun day because I'll feature a teaser right here on Night Drift. I'm so excited for you to hear what we've been working on it's a tremendous uh, emotional scary very different season of euphemet that frankly is still in the process of being worked on so i'm i'm right in the middle of it right now so euphemet is very present in my mind and body and spirit and i hope that strangeness i hope that emotionality is felt here tonight with what we're doing because this week, she's a mycologist, witch, and paranormal investigator who lives on the Key Peninsula. She works with Liminal Earth, the website devoted to re-mythologizing our modern lives by the way of collecting experiencer stories on an open-source map of the strange. 
Beck's takes on residential cases of high strangeness and experiments with all sorts of methods of divination. She routinely reports for this very program, Night Drift. From Key Peninsula, Beck's, welcome back to Night Drift, my friend. Hi, Jim. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year, my friend. You know, for you, I, I know, I, I hope you've been able to take some time for yourself, but essentially time for yourself, I, I believe, means time to investigate and, and fall deeper into rabbit holes. Am I right? Yep. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't get the sense that you stop often. But listen, I get it. Because I'm the same way. Uh, what I do for fun is some would consider work, maybe, but it it doesn't feel like work. It just it just feels like uh, what we're supposed to be doing. Absolutely, I, I I get that especially like with my partner, and and I'm sitting late night writing, typing away, and researching, reading all these books, and he's like, "What are you doing? <laughs> this looks exhausting. I'm exhausted just watching you." And I'm like, "No, no, no. This is fun." <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and a part of that, you know, you, you, like I mentioned, you take on residential cases, but you're also out there and, and you're doing these great reports for the Liminal Earth Patreon page, in which I, I, you know, implore you to plug later on, because I think everyone should be a member and support what's going on over there. But you write, you write these great reports on these expeditions that you take. And uh, whether they're an excuse to go out and, you know, be on these adventures or if they're just, you know, sort of a, a consequence of being on these adventures, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, you're exploring some really interesting places. You're revealing some really interesting history. And, and you're also including what is important to you personally and even your family heritage with some of this work. So it's, it's really fascinating. I implore people to go and check out Liminal Earth. And most recently, you you went back home. You went to Kentucky, and and with that, you used that as an opportunity to to go on said expedition. I did. I after about a year and a half, I finally managed to fly back home. It felt safe enough, you know. So I thought, you know, better better to do it now. Um, so I went. And what's interesting about where my family lives in Kentucky is uh, my cousin, who I'm closest to, and my grandma live in the same lake neighborhood, mm -hmm. right outside of Katy, Kentucky. Uh, the lake that they're on, you may ask, is Lake Barkley. And Lake mm -hmm. Barkley is kind of the gateway to land between the lake national recreation. Mm -hmm. Now that place, man. <laughs> There's something in the air there. Really? <laughs> I felt it the second. And it, it was so funny because it, it didn't feel like home at all. Hmm. But there was just this looming feeling the whole time I was there. And I, I don't know if that was just the lack of altitude, the lack of salt in the air, or if it was right. everything's dead around me and I'm, I'm just feeling very eerie. Um, mm. But, you know, all the things that happened that week were just... A lot, man. <laughs> there yeah. were a lot. Well, that's so interesting, and and it's really interesting that you didn't you you found it not to feel like home, but but something else, and and almost it it feels like something sort of mysterious or sinister. But perhaps you can first describe to us a little bit about the, the land between the lakes, or or land between the lakes. Sure. So I actually have some specs for you. Uh, we call it LBL for short, and. It's essentially a hundred and seventy thousand acres of park. 
Wow. And it starts in southwestern Kentucky, and it ends about 40 miles into northwestern Tennessee. Oh. Uh, it's actually the largest inland peninsula in the U.S. Huh. So I think that's really? funny, reporting from a peninsula here, and yeah. I just hopped to another one across the country, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, yeah. Right. So it's nestled in between Lake Barkley and Kentucky Lake. Um, Lake Kentucky Lake was built in the 40s, and then in the 60s, Lake Barkley came about. Uh, there's approximately 300 cemeteries within this park alone, Whoa. and 300 miles of undeveloped shoreline as well. And mm. I wanted to let everyone know, too, the original residents, uh, we had multiple tribes. So we had the Shawnee, the Cherokee, Choctaw, Creek, and the Chickasaw. So there's a lot of a lot of native history uh, that's unfortunately been super whitewashed, and it's really hard uh, sure. to, to uncover that now. Um, but those are the specs for LBL, and it's an amazing, magical place. I used to go hunting there every year. Um, anytime I go visit family, it's just you know a really beautiful recreation area, hunting, fishing, camping. Um, but lo and behold, it seems like they they have a cryptid of their own. Was oh, that right? They do. And what's so interesting is my cousin Marley, who may or may not be listening right now, uh, she works at the nature station hmm. on the park. So she'll get people um, during the season who will come in specifically looking for this cryptid. Really? And so it's very frequent. I, I think it's at least once a month they'll have a group of folks that are like, hey, we're going to go hunt for the LBL monster. And I, I do believe in the fall as well, they actually have like a meetup. And folks uh, present their evidence, and they have conversations about it. And I know that the nature station itself is enthusiastic about it, but I know that the forest service that oversees it not so much. Um, really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and the cryptid is actually called the Elbion monster, and pretty much fits our criteria for a dog man. Wait, what? Yeah, really? you heard me. <laughs> okay, so, so it's so... a dog man. <laughs> wow. Okay, so so <laughs> I know later in the program we'll be talking about the the continued reports of of dog men here in Washington State and along the peninsula and the in the Pacific in the greater Pacific Northwest. So you you have not only gone from uh, reporting on one peninsula up here to to another peninsula down there, with with almost mirrored activity in some regards with 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 now a dog so let okay wow bex um okay so this dogman this lbl monster how how do people specifically describe him what what are some of his traits <laughs> their so traits these traits are gonna seem very familiar to you from our last episode so approximately seven to eight feet tall <laughs> quote unquote impressive claws <laughs> someone reported <laughs> i thought that was hilarious <laughs> those claws are impressive um glowing red eyes <laughs> wolf-like things and what makes it stand out above the other dogman is that it has a very distinct rancid death stench okay. um so that's kind of its signature je ne sais quoi that makes it stand out mm. from the rest of the dogmen. um but pretty wow. much everything else fits the criteria of our hugest sound dogman triangle wow it's so interesting and and that stench of course and many people would attribute something like that to the sasquatch and and they're sort of like deathly stench that they could carry with them that's this sort of like putrid or um you know very very fascinating what, what is what have been some of the reports that people 
have had down there? Is this something that, like you said, there's a lot of folks going out and looking for th- these things, um, these these creatures. Um, what is their relationship to human activity? Or have they have they, you know, terrorized people? Um, are they a thing to fear? Um, what, what's what's going on with them? Right. So that's a very good question because I couldn't actually source the first report. There's a lot of rumors stating that the indigenous folks did have interactions, um, but I couldn't find anything to corroborate that um, enough to present that. So let's just kind of pencil that in. The first recorded sighting actually came from French fur traders who told the stories of a wolf-like creature lurking in the shadows and leaving animal carcasses in its path. Um, And they would hear... uh, howling all night long, and they eventually named the creature the Luch Gallo, um, which is werewolf in uh, French. Oh, wow. And so as settlers came into the region, there would be frequent discoveries of livestock death, um, and there would be reports of hunters being chased back to their homesteads by half-human, half-wolf creature. Um, of course, there's also hmm. tales of quote-unquote, which is cursing the land and also, quote-unquote, shaman shapeshifters. Sound familiar? Um, But that's also about 95% of cryptid lore. So, (laughs) But the most compelling report that I've heard here is back in the 70s, 73 to be exact. There was a group of Murray State College students in a VW bus. Uh, They go park at one of the campgrounds. They're having a nice fire. As the evening grew dark, one of the students retreated into the woods to answer the call of nature. Um, Upon their return, uh, they share feelings of being watched, as well as hearing sniffing noises uh, in the Mm -hmm. air. Um, His claims were soon discounted, and the area uh, quickly shifted to pitch black. Um, Within that, they began hearing shuffling in the woods. It sounded like something massive was circling their campsite. Um, Anxiety Mm -hmm. grew. Uh, They were soon followed by frantic flashlight beams that just could not move fast enough to detect what was lurking. And then the howling. (laughs) Mm. Thick, bone-chilling, blood-curdling, unnatural howling. Um, It makes your brain scream, this ain't a coyote. (laughs) And so they hightailed it out of there. And they are speeding down these tiny roads. And they have these forestry roads that rank from 100 to 400. And those 400s, you do not want to be on in a VW bus. They are rough. And so they are just plowing down and they take a curve and they feel something hit their bus. And they feel as if uh, something's almost holding the bus back. Um, They managed to get away. But once they make it back to campus, they discovered four deep gashes along the side of the exterior of the bus. Oh, man. Right. And so what's really interesting is as I was doing some digging late the night before our expedition into LBL, I did uncover the most recent sighting was five miles from Marley's house. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm sleeping in the den, baby. (laughs) I was going to say, how did that feel? (laughs) There's all kinds of stuff going on at her house. So it's doesn't feel too abnormal, but let's just say, you know, we tried to reach out, and, you know, <laughs> we tried to try to figure that one out. But um, yeah, it was really interesting hearing that. And it was just, uh, you know, 
driving at night and something ran across the road with red eyes and stinky and um, kind of had this menacing stance to it. So hmm. uh, that was the most recent, and I think it was in like 2010. Yeah. Hmm. Is is there a a, a sort of a cultural awareness of of the beast there? And you know, do you see you know sort of roadsides uh, roadside wood carvings of it? Um, is it a part of the local lore there in the way that Bigfoot or Sasquatch is up here? Not quite. Um, I've seen a lot of articles about local folks really not liking the LVR monster lore because hmm. it kind of has a negative spin of like fear the park, don't come to the park, or it attracts right. the quote unquote wrong people. Um, yeah. So people are just trying to, I guess, protect their history and it's like, uh, you know, they, they don't want to be affiliated with it. And so um, there's a lot of people who are proud of it and, and celebrate it. And then there's also folks that um, don't want anything to do with it. Uh, so it's, it's pretty split down the middle from what I've seen. Yeah. Hmm. And, and did you feel like that uh, you searching for it, you would meet with any sort of, uh, I don't know, um, negative reactions to it or the people that you encountered, did they embrace your pursuit to go and find out more about this yeah so with the park itself the nature station is closed for the season um so i didn't really get the chance to talk to anyone outside of marley um but yeah i did so here's the thing about the lbl monster i've been thinking about this quite a bit mm. i'm debating whether or not they are a physical cryptid um because you're in LBL and it's almost like instead of there being a werewolf-like creature watching you in the woods, it's almost, it feels more like um, looming fog that's watching mm. you. Something that's all-encompassing rather than, oh, this creature in this one distinct area behind the street. Um, mm. So I don't know if that's taking on more of an egregorous form. Um, right. But the tarot reading I did the morning of our expedition kind of shed some light on that and I thought that was interesting and something I wanted to share as well oh my gosh yeah well we we may want to save that for for after the break as we're yes. we're coming up to that in, in just a minute here but I, but I think but what does it mean to you to go down to a place like that uh, especially with the with the kind of reports that that you're generating right now in the key peninsula, find yourself on another key or another peninsula rather, and go, wow, there's some similar stuff going on down here. What, what do you what do you <laughs> think that what do you think that means? I don't know, man. I mean, it's really funny because I haven't made these things prior to our conversation. and so I'm like fresh and the mind blown. Like, okay, I was just on another peninsula. <laughs> I'm also chasing another dog, man. Like, why is this just like this mirroring effect in my life? Is like, what does this mean? And I find myself asking that almost every day. <laughs> what does it all mean? And so, I don't know, man. I mean, I I feel feel like I'm on the right track. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And it's just these are things that I've been attracted to. Um, they were brought to me. Um, I didn't really chase the these out um so it's just you know i moved to a peninsula by chance i i hear all these dog stories dog meal stories by chance i go visit happens to be you know my family peninsula oh it happens to also have a dog man it's just lining up in this really peculiar way and i can't can't wait to see what's next for that 
I can't either. I can't either, and I hope it's not a face-to-face confrontation with one of these <laughs> materialized beasts of, of, of lore. Um, uh. l- listen, I, I think it's really interesting how synchronicity becomes a big part of these investigations, almost as if there's a little bit of a guiding hand or a, a collaboration or a conversation that happens with people that are deep into this work. It's so fascinating to me, you know, standing on the sidelines, looking in at individuals experiencing this in particular. And we're going to have more with um, more with you, Bex, when, when we talk about what you discovered with your tarot readings. And if you would like to call tonight and, and share an experience that maybe you have had recently, uh, whether that's something like UFO or... I mean, really, I, I'm really interested if you're listening to this in the Puget Sound area and you've seen a werewolf or a dogman. It's weird to even have that come out of my mouth, but these are reports that we're getting from everywhere right now within the Pacific Northwest, so it'd be really interesting to hear from you. You can call at 425-373-5527, toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. On Night Drift. More to come right after this. West of the Cascades to the rest of the world. Lines are open. Call 425-373-5527 or toll free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-KKNW. So paranormal investigator Bex Atwood is in the land between the lakes. And it's this place that has been almost looming over her as if a fog, something seemingly always watching. And with a history of sightings like the LBL monster, this dog man, other high strangeness. This peninsula is is not too much unlike the very own that she takes residential craziness. So Bex... You, you decided that, that you're going to find some sort of answers, and, and through that is, is potentially some sort of insight through divination, and you decide with, with your cousin that, that tarot and oracle reading would, would, maybe, would maybe be that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love doing what I would call reads of a situation or of a location. Um, so I don't do as much on people these days, um, but right before an investigation, sometimes during, I'll whip out a couple different decks and um, we'll try to read the energy of my surrounding of a location from a remote viewing type place um, and just try to get some insight into what we're getting into. 
Yeah, and and so you were you were there, and uh, this was uh, potentially a, a I don't know. Sounds like a really great time to use it for for just that. Exactly. So, uh, the first question that I wanted to ask was, uh, what's the overall energy surrounding Land Between the Lakes? Hmm. And with my inversion deck, uh, that's like Rider weight pretty much. I got the Five of Wands and the Two of Pentacles reversed. Um, now these represent opposing goals, um, okay. coordinated activity slash chaotic environment, a lack of unity, and some sort of rivalry that's not sustainable. Hmm. Um, so that actually matches the history of LBL quite well, because in the 40s, a lot of homesteaders were kicked out of their land so that the Kentucky Lake could be built uh, by damming some of the uh, Cumberland River, I believe. Oh, wow. um, and then in the 60s, those some of those same homesteaders got kicked off yet again. One of my ancestors was one of those people. And oh, um, they didn't take it very well. And so uh, even going back as far as um, a lot of the tribal squabbles that happened way back in the day. So this is a land that's very chaotic. There's always some sort of altercation happening. And um, yeah, I found that quite compelling. Hmm. Um, and so question number two was who slash what? is the LBL monster, uh, this beast. And I was using the Liminal Earth Oracle deck, Oracle of the Hypogeum. And I drew the wolf-headed one. <laughs> and I remember looking down. I didn't even know this card existed in the deck. Um, and I screamed for Marley. I was like, you have to get in here. I'm shaking. I like, this is a really compelling session right now. You have to watch wow. this with me. And so, uh, I drew a second card and it's insect. And it was talking about small considered motions that don't waste energy and small changes to an onset gradually turning into huge changes. So I see huh. a, uh, tiny pieces of something slowly accumulating into this big thing. And so that's what really started to get me thinking about, is the LBL monster actually a cryptid? Um, right. We see that it presents itself as a wolf-headed one, but then it, it has attributes of this insect-type situation where we see maybe slowly over time, all of these experiences that these fur traders had, that these white settlers had, it slowly accumulates. And then you have these explosive reports like the 1973 Murray State um, College. And so... You know, is it this egregorish type fog that's been created? I don't know, but the Oracle cards seem to think so. Um, so the question three that I asked, the final question was, what can we as individuals do to appease slash honor this being slash phenomenon? And I pulled from my Memento Mori Oracle deck, the witch. Hmm. And I thought that was a bit of a sarcastic response from the cards. It was like... Yeah you're a witch you have lineage a birthright uh you're a cunning person use it <laughs> and so i drew a second card of like okay but how <laughs> i got the teapot and it represents telling a secret and using herbal medicine in the afternoon and so we interpreted that as an offering that huh. this being and or these ancestors that we have lineage to, like the witch card says, um, yeah, it wants offerings of herbal tea. And so we brewed some herbal tea. We offered some blueberry loaf as well. And then we planted um, sunflower seeds at multiple 
LBL monster sighting locations as well as the two uh, Atwood cemeteries that we found. And so we were kind of pouring libations for this phenomenon, for the lineage, for the indigenous folks that came before. Um, but then we're also offering things that speak directly to our lineage. So the blueberries are very significant in our childhood as well as the sunflowers just everywhere. Um, so we thought that was really significant. Um, that's kind mm. of kind of where we're at right now. You know, what's really kind of stunning about what you're reporting here is recently I've been reading about Wendigo and mm -hmm. this forest creature that sometimes presents itself as a, a, a wolf man of sorts, sometimes with horns, sometimes with a demon face, but oftentimes very wolf-like. And that a part of that lore in terms of what I read and what I'm reading right now is is sort of temperance or grace or or not over indulging on certain things and that's what was really stunning about some of these reads to me as I look at them is that you even brought to the table an offering of small things for it and mm. I, I would yeah I would definitely recommend looking into Wendigo because everything that is showing here has really strong ties to that legend and, and the reports that people have of that creature. Wow. I can't wait to find out more. I'm doing that. Tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, that wasn't, um, I don't know. You're, you're, you know, you're sort of your last impression of what this place had to offer. I mean, what do you think, what do you think this place maybe was trying to tell you uh, through this level of communication? Do you feel like you received any sort of reply or ideas after leaving those offerings? Uh, I haven't, to be honest with you. Um, I left there. Um, I left there in this really weird mental state because um, unfortunately, uh, the day after we did this expedition, um, multiple small towns around LBL and LBL experienced F5 tornado, um, completely yeah. devastating multiple communities. And so I began the week such a high and then, you know, ended the week um, gathering mm. donations, trying to help make sure everyone was okay um, yeah. in our general vicinity. And so, um, you know, that that affected me mentally and um i'm sitting here thinking about everything and um the main takeaway that i got was like there's still so much to uncover yeah and what's so interesting is that uh we did find two atwood homestead cemeteries so we had no idea we had no idea that our lineage went that far west hmm. and so um that to me was like here are these secrets it, it took so long to find them they were literally hidden within plain sight um, we did find them and we're so proud, but then the very next day, um, the tornado comes through and all of these trees are down. Like they're, these cemeteries are no longer accessible right now. And so it's saying to me, there's more things to uncover. You've uncovered this. Now it's covered back up. Hmm. What you uncover next, you know, is, is, is to be determined. It's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. What's well, so fascinating, Bex, because I don't know, we, you know, we, we read about things like the Mothman, right? 
and these other forms of of um, of sort of elemental creatures, almost if if not true cryptid, some sort of elemental or energetic, you know, uh, multi-dimensional, non-human entities, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea that on occasion those entities or places themselves can act as almost a signal, a, a clarion call for what's to come, and a level of engagement could represent in in some people's presentation that they're being warned that danger is upon them. And what's interesting is that it feels like that place. I'm not trying to read into anything too much, but I am being speculative here. (laughs) Sure. But, but tying together some of this stuff, it does feel like that place was saying like, okay, okay, we gave you kind of what you need. Now let's get out of here. (laughs) And tornadoes, like, like shelter, like run away this is happening. This is going to happen. And it's almost as if I I would be curious to see what that, how that land felt when you go back, you know, like what if it feels completely different? What if it feels like warm and inviting and there's no tornadoes on the horizon? Right. Right. That's to be determined. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you have to be commended for, you know, everything you did for, you know, kind of the, the, the victims of, the horrible tragedy that happened down there with the tornadoes it was um it was emotional i think for everyone watching let alone the people that actually had to be a part of that um i understand that that your family and friends are 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 doing okay right now because of it and and everything is um reasonably fine right yeah yeah i would say so i know that marley's uh doing a lot for the community um especially on the pet front um Mm -hmm. we did have a family friend that lost everything she has four kids um Mm. so i actually have a couple of uh gofundme links and things like that on my twitter page that i could uh pin um just to help support those victims because i mean these towns were completely wiped and they were so rural and small they just they couldn't handle this level of devastation so it's really unfortunate and some people walked out completely fine and some people are you know no longer here so it's a tricky situation but uh, mutual aid is always the best option it seems these days and um, i'll try to get those links pinned to my twitter okay yes please and and where do people go to find you on twitter to to find that information yeah you can find me at, at bex in the liminal great and i'll make sure to copy whatever that information is and put it in the show lo- lo- the show notes uh for the podcast version of this uh, of this show as well so excellent so returning back to the peninsula, all right, um, I think it's it's got to be kind of weird going back to the peninsula after all you experienced there, especially pretty pr- probably very much under the shadow of what happened with the tornado is, is uh, obviously that's um, traumatic, right? And so I understand that. But you've you found some new reports essentially, of these dogmen that we keep hearing about in that area. What what can you update? Yes. So I did get a report after uh, my episode went live. Uh, someone outside of Shelton uh, had experienced dogmen as well. So really? Triangle's looking a little more like a rectangle these days. <laughs> but I'm like, guys, guys, I want to hear reports that like messes up my triangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No longer a triangle. We'll yeah, just expand which, the triangle to keep. 
exactly. No, it's just exactly the triangle just gets bigger is what happens there. I'm widening the triangle. Um, but I have one report for you that's crazy. I can't wait to share. Okay. So I've been working with uh someone on the peninsula and they do house cleansings, land warding, different things of the sort. Um Hmm. she's awesome. And while I was in Kentucky, she messaged me like, hey, I was doing some land protection work for a client, and I encountered the strangest creature ever. Mm. <laughs> and she believes that the family has uh, like PK-type activity going on, um, that they also have some um, abilities. Psychically, I don't know exactly what those are or if those have been developed, but hmm. um, she thinks that the abilities, the PK manifestation, and the natural thickness of this elemental energy that we have in the peninsula has kind of created this weird creature that started out like a dog man, but hmm. something started to attack the chickens. And oh, wow. when my friend saw this, being she saw it as half dog man but with like chicken um so she's saying that it's morphing into what it's eating um but it's being created by the family itself potentially um mixed with with the land's energy and so i found that really fascinating because it it did start out as a dog man but then now it's feeding on the livestock it's changing and that's something that we don't see with the LBL monster and, and it fed on, you know, livestock for hundreds of years reportedly. So right. this is kind of a hybrid or maybe next gen, if you will, of the dog man here on the peninsula. Oh my gosh. You live in one Spooky. of the weirdest places in the world. <laughs> I know it. And I've, I've met some really interesting people. I'll tell you what. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so peak, just to step back for a second, PK, uh, psychokinetic energy right which is mm-hmm. the 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 manipulation of things within this consensus reality you know building things creating things um like like an x-men basically pretty much <laughs> yeah yeah and so and and so after the program you you receive this and then you receive another you another report in sheldon is was there something about a, a victor cemetery as well there was so I, I think they touched on it briefly just saying there was a sighting it's one of our points yeah. on the dogman triangle um but what's interesting is i've gotten multiple reports on it and so i'm like okay you know, this is something i'm getting multiple uh reports and someone accused the cemetery of being almost a den for dogman and that is what? it's pretty much somewhere that you can go if you if you want to have an encounter Okay, and, wait a minute. So, w- w- yeah. just to, just as someone, an individual, uh, alleges this about the cemetery, a- accused the cemetery of being a den. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is just a, a local resident. This is a local resident. Yeah. Okay. If if you're listening to this right now, local resident, uh, give this program a call sometime so we can chat Please. about this. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm only excited because the extremity of this report is is really startling. You know, not to make light of it at all. Um, 
what is it? So, so a den of dogmen. How how did this uh, th- how did this idea generate? What is it based off of? Right. So it's based off of um, them pretty much saying that any they grew up in the area, and that countless residents within proximity to the cemetery have seen multiple dogmen, and that if you go uh, on certain lunar cycles, um, that you're pretty much guaranteed to see one. Um, and I have been to the cemetery. I went during the day, um, because I am a little, just a tiny chicken. Um, (laughs) and so I'm going and it's somewhere to where it's, it's, it's very rural, but there's a house like within a hundred yards. So it's not something that I want to like spend a whole lot of time at, um, out of respect for those people. Uh, but at the same time, there's woods around half of it and then uh if you look from the road it's just old logging land pretty mm. much and so it's it's very easy uh for something to get out of eyesight very quickly and so i'm i'm observing this site i'm taking some notes and i'm just okay i could definitely see um you know lack of visibility being um a pro for this location um but i'm still kind of familiarizing myself with dogman um i've heard about it since church camp when I was a kid and so um the phenomenon and I are, are very well acquainted but I haven't had my own experience and so I feel like if there's any place that I will it's probably cemetery um but wow. I couldn't find any you know any evidence or anything of it uh just just what they've been reporting but I'd like to eventually maybe talk to some of those residents if they're willing to see what they oh, have to it's say. really exciting yeah it's really exciting Bex it's uh it, please keep us posted about what that situation entails it's yeah fascinating absolutely and so uh, of course dogmen aren't the only reports that happen on little liminal earth <laughs> even though we've been talking about them quite a bit it, you you sent me a submission uh by someone named adler uh, uh, about the treetops can can you share that story with me yes i would love to so adler is a dear friend they submitted this story to liminal.earth. It occurred in summer 2006 in Colorado. Golden appears to be the town. Now it's categorized under thin places and it is titled The Treetops. Our house sat on five acres of undeveloped property in the foothills of the Rockies. In addition to that big yard, we had a small grass yard directly behind our house that had a short adobe wall going around it. Behind that wall sat a trailer. In between the adobe wall and the trailer, there was a small gap where a handful of trees were growing. It wasn't a good spot for them to grow. They were tall and lanky, not super strong trees, but they did manage to have enough leaf cover to make sure some shade in the yard. One day I was playing in the driveway when it suddenly got very loud outside sounded like there were hundreds of birds over our house, but there was nothing. The sky was clear. There were a couple of birds around, but not the number that there should have been for that noise to make sense. I thought the neighbors would come out to see what was going on. It was so loud. I was eight years old and was horribly confused, but it was not scary, just simply very loud. I looked up in the trees, expecting one of those huge flocks of little blackbirds to be occupying all of the space. There was The sound was coming from those droopy treetops, but nothing was there. I stood there perplexed when I began to notice there were faces in the trees. 
the faces were not human. They were quite literally theater masks. The white mask that you see with the smile and the frown. Except all of these had smiling mouths and frowning eyes. They were not actually colored white, but they were the shape of those. There were hundreds of them morphing through the leaves of those trees. Their mouths moving slightly as the deafening sound of so many birds continued. For some reason, I thought of monkeys talking to each other, pointing and chattering, while I stood oblivious of their conversation. They seemed to know I couldn't understand them, and so continued to talk loudly amongst themselves, morphing in and out of the branches with their smiling mouths and unsmiling eyes. I knew they were talking about me in front of me, and I knew that they were not evil, that they didn't mean harm. They simply seemed different, almost trickstery, but with no intent to actually do anything. I was not scared, but was overwhelmed by the sound. Eventually, when it became clear that no one else could hear what I was hearing, I left and continued on my way, leaving the faces in the trees to trap away amongst themselves. I never saw them again. (laughs) (laughs) So when you read reports like this, Bex, how 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 does it not make you want to go to this location right away and see what's going on? Um, yeah, so it does. That's <laughs> something that I have a really hard time with because I am a jet setter man. I will go in an instant. Um, I mean, you're talking to someone who moved to LA by herself at 18. So yeah. you know, I I've right. driven across the country like 10 times. Um, right. So what's what's stopping me is. Um, I have some stability in my life now and I'm really, uh, I have a family and um, I think this is an instance I would really like to explore once I can make a trip to Florida, but I think I'd like the liminal guys to join me on this. But Alder is a great friend um, and they're going for their doctorate in chemistry, I believe. So uh, wonderful friends in the paranormal community and we're so happy to receive this story. That's great. Well, it's it's a it's a part of Liminal Earth. You can go there, liminal.earth. And this is a map, folks, so you can see where this stuff happens. You know, be respectful of people's property, of course, and don't break the law. But these are places you can see on Google Maps and or travel to to see if you have an experience yourself. So I know it gravitates me towards those locations as well. Bex, thank you so much for joining us here on Night Drift once again, my friend. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. You can hear the show anytime on its podcast feed wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.